podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Amanda, we're back. It's another week. How are you? I'm still here. <laughs> in There's all the ways. To go. <laughs> yeah, I'm alive. I'm here in that way. And I'm also still here in my house. Happy as a clam, actually. I'm, I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm well. I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm somehow, I've, I've said this to you, but I'm just living my best hermit life. I didn't realize how much I like being a hermit. <laughs> I know not everyone feels that way. So I'm, yeah, I'm a, a bit strange, but. I do love just being in my own little world and doing the best I can to be okay. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I have moments, like I can't lie, I have moments where I'm like, yeah. I feel a bit panicked about everything or sad or whatever, you know, Absolutely. emotion comes upon me, but mostly we're doing really well here. So yeah, and I love, um, you know, just getting outside and kind of like, having a slower life. It's been really lovely in a lot of ways. And I'm back to baking a ton. Like I'm just I know. baking my guts out. So that's been really fun. I've seen like a beautiful strawberry pie. I've seen like an opera cake. I've seen cookies. Like you're just turning it out. Bonkers. It's bonkers over here. Um, and I think very appropriately, we're about to have a great episode about alternative baking. I've been playing around with flax milk. I got this. Um, this is not like a sponsored thing or anything. It's just interesting to me, but I've been playing with flax milk in just any sort of way. This company Malibu milk sent me some and I'm like, yeah, let's try it. So I've been trying my own alternative baking, alternative ingredients. I was thinking it'd be fun if we had an alternative theme song, like very nineties, for this episode. Sorry, oh, that's not the right one. You just you you, cr- you just cranked it out like that. <laughs> that's not the right anyway, one. Anyway, I was thinking, I don't know, that's like a funny thought to me. Um, I loved alternative music. Did you? I mean, I still I do. mean, we're the 90s, we're kids of the 90s. Of course. So, anyway, um yeah, so I'm just baking all over the place, baking alternative flour stuff, baking alternative milk stuff, baking bakeritas recipes, who's our guest today. I'm so excited to share her with you guys. Yes, she's amazing. And oh my gosh, if you haven't checked out her blog, it is like one of the big go-tos for all free from alternative baking. And she's just a delight and full of sunshine. And here we go. Rachel, a.k.a. Bakerita, welcome to Flower Hour. Thank you so much to both of you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome. It's This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're thrilled to talk to you. And we've had a couple guests before that have very distinctive screen names. I'm thinking of Southern Fatty right now, where <laughs> I'm like, in my mind, your name is not Rachel. So we'll, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll have moments where it's like first name Baker, last name Ida or something like that. I don't know. But but in my mind, that's who you are. So it's it's very nice to make you 
Rachel in my life now. So, well, oh, yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, I have tons of people who will think my name is Rita. So I got a lot of messages addressed to Rita, which is always pretty funny. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. How did you choose the name? Um, so it actually like came back to, so I started my site 10 years ago when I was 16, um, which is crazy to think about now, but it was, we were really just searching for a name that had the domain available. Um, so we went through just like millions of different names cause it was originally like a Tumblr blog. Um, and it was just Rach Bakes, which was the domain was taken for that. So we just started running through names and I think we got to like Crumbelina and we kind of liked that vibe with like the Ina, Ida. Um, and we said Bakerita. And then once you sort of thought through it, like my mom is um, Hispanic, she's Bolivian and Chilean and Ida in Spanish means little and I'm only five foot tall. So they were like, that's super cute. You're like the little baker with a, with a very generous interpretation. So that's how we ended up landing on the name. And I never thought at the time that it would end up being the name of my first cookbook. <laughs> Isn't that, that's amazing. What a story. Yeah, it's pretty funny to like think about um, at the time it didn't feel as significant as it has become in my life now. It's super unique. I I love it. Yeah, it's unique, Thank but you. it's easy to say. It's fun to say. It, it kind of is one of those words that puts a smile on your face, I think. Well, like, it sounds like margarita. Happy. And who oh. doesn't get happy when you think about margaritas? <laughs> Yeah, I need to start like a segment of margaritas with bakerita rolls off the tongue nicely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, tell us more about starting this blog at 16 and congratulations on your 10 year anniversary. And how did this all begin for you? Thank you. After yes. you chose the name. Yeah. So I started, um, it was a tr very traditional baking blog. So now my, my blog and website, it's all gluten-free, dairy-free and refined sugar-free baking. But when I started my website at 16, it was very much all traditional baking, tons of like ridiculous seven layer cookie, brownie, cookie dough cakes, all sorts of cinnamon rolls. Um, and it was really born out of just my love for baking. I had grown up loving baking and using it as an outlet. And when I got to high school, I was just started struggling with some of like my friend groups. Um, just in high school, things can get a little bit stressful as you probably have all experienced. Um, and so I was just having a little bit of an, an identity struggle and baking became my total outlet. It was like what I would just go and get lost in after school. And I, my sister actually suggested that I start a blog as just a way to write and post my terrible, my terrible phone pictures that I was taking on my flip phone. And that's really how it started. It was just like me writing. I was a cheerleader. I was like writing about the football games that I was cheering at. It was so not something I ever expected anyone to ever look at. It was just like my personal online diary. But I loved doing it so much that there was like no way I was going to give up that outlet when I went to college. So as I started looking for somewhere to go, I was like, they have to have a kitchen in the dorms so that I can make treats on the weekends for my friends. And I just never, it never even crossed my mind to give up Bakerita. And as I went through college, I was like, how could I maybe do this full time or continue doing it with my job? And when I got close to graduating, I wasn't really getting 
the jobs that I was interested in. Um, I was like wanting to do something in food and I wasn't getting those jobs because I didn't have any experience. And I ended up, my dad is super supportive of Bakerita. He always wanted me to do something that I was super passionate about. And he said, you're a 21 year old. You have no family to support. If there's ever a time for you to go full time with this and have it be the least scary, now is the time to go for it. So I took the leap into doing Bakerita full time. And it has been, I think five years since then, which is insane. Um, but that's where I got to got to now, um, which is which is totally crazy to think back on that journey. Um, and then, of course, I went from being a very traditional baker to having all of these sort of dietary guidelines that my recipes follow now. And that changed around the same time that I went full time because I had started dabbling in some gluten-free baking while I was in college. But because I was in college, all my friends wanted cookie dough brownies. So that was the stuff that I stuck to making. Um, But when I was at home, I would make all gluten-free treats because my sister and my dad had both gone gluten-free. And after I graduated, I also went gluten-free when I realized that my body felt so much better that way and that I had had headaches my whole life. And once I cut gluten out, I realized that a lot of my headaches went away. So transition was really hard and really sad for me as a baker. But I also discovered this whole new avenue of baking to almost start the relearning process while also being able to apply the things that I had learned in my traditional baking. So it was a really interesting journey. And I feel like I know a lot about traditional baking and I'm now able to apply that to my more specialty recipes. So long-winded answer to your question, but that's how Bakerita got started and where we got to where we are today. It's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, I love it. I like the way you say it's like um, the transition. You felt like it was a time where you could kind of learn again. Cause I feel that mm-hmm. sometimes I've, I'm mostly a traditional baker, but when I dabble with alternative ingredients, it's really fun in a way of like, I feel like a new baker. It's a very yes. exciting kind of experimental phase for me when I try those things. And I think it's really nice. Like, and, and just for anybody listening, that's kind of, I think some people are either all in, like, it seems like different personalities are like, Oh, cool. Alternative baking let me Mm -hmm. go for it. And then other people are very hesitant. And I, at times I've been one of those hesitant people because I'm just like, oh, I like butter. I like flour. I like these things. And, um, but I think like a different way to approach it is like, it's fun to feel like a baby baker again. It's fun to be, you know, amazed or surprised at how wonderful or how horrible something can turn out and have those experiences (laughs) again. It's really like it's nice, it's useful, and it's fun. So I like yes. That. And I was I was totally one of those people who was like against it. My when my sister first went gluten free, I was like gross treats made with brown rice flour. Like who wants that? That sounds disgusting. And <laughs> at that time, it was that was probably like eight years ago now, maybe nine years ago. So gluten free like products are, were not nearly as prevalent as they are today. So things really were not very good. Um, at least the things that you could buy at the grocery store. And so that's like a lot of the reason why she would beg me for stuff. She'd be like, please make me a banana bread that doesn't taste like it was made with sand. 
And so it like became such a challenge for me because I was like, I don't even like these gluten-free things, but if I'm going to eat it and if I'm going to serve it to people, then it has to be something I'm proud of. And so it really made me delve into the world of like, okay, which flowers aren't going to leave a weird aftertaste, aren't going to leave a weird texture. Like I need to find the flowers that make these things taste the best because I'm not going to be serving things that I wouldn't eat to anyone else. (laughs) So I became a total perfectionist in terms of like finding all the flowers and sugars and all the things that didn't taste odd or different and allowed me to recreate things that left the same like sense of deliciousness and indulgence that more traditional baked goods did. And we're going to grill you on all of your knowledge (laughs) of ingredients. But one more history question. Did you grow up baking? Yeah. So I always loved to bake. Um, My mom, I think, was always more of the baker who she would would bake with me to give like cookies to my teachers for the holidays. And we would always do a ton of baking around Christmas. But I think she was she just kind of did it for me and my sister. She didn't love it in quite the way that I learned to. Um, So I definitely baked growing up. All my friends love to say that on all of our play dates, I would always be begging to make cookies. So I, I, it always seems normal to me. I don't think I love to bake that much as a kid, but I think compared to everyone else, I did. (laughs) Okay. So from starting out baking, starting out blogging, fast forward just recently, so March 24th, I hope I have the date correct, was your publication yes, day for your first cookbook, Bakerita Cookbook. Um, yes. Just first big congratulations. Yeah, what a major accomplishment. So exciting. I have the book. I love the book. It's beautiful. And I think if you are new to any sort of alternative baking, it's highly approachable. And if you're seasoned, it's just highly delicious and wonderful. So it's a great book. I'm just, you know, doing a quick commercial here on my own <laughs> volition, but it's a great book to nab if you're curious because it is so approachable. It's not, you know, filled with things that are confusing or I was really impressed. A lot of the ingredient lists are really short. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I don't have to go buy 20 ingredients that I've never heard of to try this one thing just to find out if I like it or not. It was like, almond flour. I can do that. You know, like a a lot of things, coconut oil, things that we probably have regardless of how we bake. I thought it was so approachable and just quick. A lot of your bakes are so quick. I was very excited Mm -hmm. about that. Um, You know, with kids and busy mom, my kids are like, you know, you're making cookies. When are they ready? Like they want them then. Um, So it's just a wonderful book, but big congratulations. Um, Can you tell us about like, How did it come about? I love hearing about the planning part of writing a cookbook. Did you come up with a full list of recipes and then start developing them? Did you kind of like develop as you went? What was your process like for planning out what recipes went in the book? Yeah, so I had kind of like a journey with even like the book deal because I got a book deal and then the company got acquired after I had started working on the book and like the contract got canceled, I think the day before I was like supposed to be signing it. So it sort of sent me into like a tizzy of, Oh my goodness, I've started working on this book. I've got invested in the fact that I'm writing a book now. And then it just kind of like fell to pieces. Um, Thankfully I got myself an incredible agent and she like immediately was on it and was like, let's build out this proposal to be even better. And we'll get you a deal that is 
even better. And I turned out to work with the most amazing publisher for what I do. So it all turned out to be good and well, um, but it was a little bit of a stressful journey. Um, but in terms of developing the recipes, I came up with, I think the entire, um, like table of contents. So I had most of the recipe ideas built out in the proposal and I knew I wanted it to be a full baking book and that I wanted it to be called Bakerita, which is still so weird to me that I can look at the cover of a book and it has the name on it that I came up with as a 16 year old. Um, but my publishers were super amazing and not holding me super accountable to that exact list that I created because I'm very much like a in the flow. I feel like switching this berry for that berry and just adjusting flavors as I went. So the table of contents like changed very significantly over the course of writing the book, but the chapter ideas stayed the same. So um, it was, it was such a fun process to come up with all the recipes and to just like be able to sit and scroll down every idea that came into my head and then to go into this journey of testing and testing and figuring out which version worked the best. And I never knew, I, I knew that I liked things to be pretty exact, but I learned what a perfectionist I am in writing this book when I like would be on to the, in my ninth test of a gingerbread loaf, because I like wanted to test a quarter of a teaspoon baking soda difference. <laughs> um, but it was such a fun process just testing all the recipes. And I learned so much about baking and it was really fun to be thoughtful about how to make the book approachable for people who had never baked anything gluten-free or dairy-free before, but also make it something that had a lot of recipes that were new and exciting for people who were used to that kind of baking. So the whole process of writing the book, I mean, Amanda, I know you've written a book, so you know that it can be such a time-consuming, time like all-consuming process, but Getting that first book in the mail is such an amazing feeling. And Jeremiah, you're working on a book right now as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the... <laughs> <laughs> you're deep in yeah. it. Oh, you God. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I you're, can't in the quarter, you're in the quarter tables, quarter teaspoon of baking powder or not situation. <laughs> yeah. We have these chats. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. That's going to be my afternoon. <laughs> yeah. I remember those days and just... I'm sure it's extra hard to find flour right now, too. I hope you're able to get your hands on everything you need. Yeah, flour, if you up here, I'm in Northern California, it's it's not too bad if you go to a bulk type place. It's pretty yeah. easy to get like 25 pound bags of bleached flour. Um, but like yeah. unbleached flour is hard or bread flour kind of. I think everyone's making bread. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And gluten free flours I, I've seen are pretty ready available, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a nice thing is I've been able to find most of my ingredients. San Diego, oh, we definitely good. have, I'm definitely in an area that like tends towards more health food. We have like a ton of gluten-free and vegan restaurants around. So some, some grocery stores have like seen they're all out of almond flour and tapioca flour. And I'm like, well, at least people are baking my kind of recipes. <laughs> yeah. <complain> too much. <laughs> Well, let's highlight some of the, your favorites from the book. What's what's a recipe you would make if you're in a hurry and you wanted just a delicious, quick, quick sweet? So what I've been making nonstop, and it's on my site too, are my paleo chocolate chip cookies. They are the recipe that I tell everyone to start with if they've never made anything gluten-free before. They're just like my classic chocolate chip cookie recipe, and I make a batch 
probably at least two or three times a week, if not a double batch. <laughs> we're just fully <laughs> obsessed. We're just fully obsessed with them around here. I'm like always delivering them to my friends and family. My my mom's half of the family, they are all very traditional eaters. Um, and they love those cookies more than regular ones. So those are always a big winner. Um, one of my favorite, favorite recipes from the book that I am most proud of are I have a recipe for paleo vegan cinnamon rolls that are done in an hour, which I never thought I would be able to make happen when I started the book. And they surprisingly came together really quickly um, in terms of recipe development. And they are unreal. They're just so good. It I probably gained like 10 pounds just testing that recipe because I was eating so many cinnamon rolls. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's some sort of whiz- witchcraft you were up to. <laughs> yeah. I, I still am like, every time I make it, I'm like, how does this like happen so quickly? And they turn out so amazingly because they're done oh, wow. in an hour from starting to mix them together till coming out of the oven. So it's a pretty magical recipe. That's yeah, crazy. That one. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Yeah, I'm dying yeah. over that. Because cinnamon rolls are rub with me. Unless they're overnight cinnamon rolls, it's really hard for me. Like I do them with biscuit dough a lot of times. It's really yeah. hard for me to get up and then know I'm not having my breakfast for two to three hours. That's totally. it's, it's too long. So, okay, I've got to get on that recipe. Yeah, yeah. Th- those were my sister insisted. She had been begging me, begging me for a cinnamon roll recipe that was, she wanted it vegan and she wanted it grain free. And so it, wow. She was begging me for years. And I figured the book was finally the time to make it happen. <laughs> That's wild. And then I have to highlight so from your book, I made the ginger. I never, with ginger molasses type cookies, I'm like, are they molasses mm-hmm. cookies? Are they ginger cookies? I forget exactly how you named them, but they're chili yeah. ginger cookies, I think was the name. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the name, Chewy Ginger Cookies. That's we, right. We made those. Well, I made those. And then with my family, normally I try to like just bake half of whatever I'm doing or either a small portion, depending on how big the recipe is. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bake all of these and we'll just mm-hmm. eat them over the next few days. And they were gone within a couple of hours. Like it was shame. <laughs> it was shameful, but they were just so good. So incredibly good and tender and and I'm very open at this point to alternative baking, but my husband mm-hmm. very much is like, he thinks I'm always trying to trick him. So if I make anything yeah. that he doesn't love, he's like, he'll kind of smack his lips like, is this gluten-free? He makes this face at me. And we just gobble these cookies. My kids, my husband, like no one took a second, second thought. They were just so incredibly good. So um, oh, thank you. I think that's a go-to as well. And sometimes people put that in the holiday cookie box. Like that's like- yes. You know, save it for Christmas. I love a spice cookie year round. So um, just a great, fast, easy, delicious recipe. Yeah, those are one of my favorites. I love the orange zest in there too. I think I put it as optional. So I don't know if you used it or not, but it like is a nice little twist on that cookie too. That just kind of makes it so like nice and warm combined with all the spices. So good. <laughs> yes, I did. I did the orange zest. And then the only like thing that I had to swap is I only had chunky almond butter and I think it called for creamy, which obviously mm-hmm. that didn't make, you know, any kind of tragic change. And yeah. then I didn't have any flax um, seeds or flour to be able to make the egg. So I used a yeah. traditional egg in that and it worked fine. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we just, we love those cookies. So highly recommend to anybody. 
Yeah, well, thank you for that nice review. I'm so glad that you tried them and enjoyed them. Those are definitely one of my favorite cookie recipes in the book. They're so delicious. <laughs> what about if you had to take a couple other recipes to a desert island, what would they be? Oh, that is so hard. It's like asking me to like choose a favorite child or something. <laughs> I don't even have any children. Um, <laughs> um, all right, let's see. Um, really, one of the simplest recipes in my book is a cashew cookie granola. It's like, I think there may be six or seven ingredients. It's super simple, but it's made with cashew butter. And the cashew butter like coats the granola and the way it all like sticks together. And there's a ton of vanilla and vanilla bean powder in it. And it just tastes like a delicious cashew cookie. And that's one of my favorite just to like have on hand to snack on or as like a good breakfast, put on top of a smoothie. It's a super versatile, delicious recipe. So that would probably be one of my one of my desert island recipes. What else would I do? I mean, the paleo chocolate chip cookies are a must um, for me, at least. I cannot live without those. What else would I I'm a chocoholic. So I feel like these are probably all going to have chocolate in them. Um, <laughs> The brookies are one of my favorites. They're a brownie cookie. So they're like a super rich fudge brownie that have little cookie dough balls baked into them. And they're the perfect thing for when you can't decide whether you want a brownie or a cookie. And with ice cream on top, they're just absolutely irresistible. That is so fun and playful. Yeah, they're so cute. And they're super fun to make. And like just having mixing a ton of tiny little cookie dough balls into a big bowl of brownie batter is also just so satisfying. <laughs> oh, I can um, imagine. Yeah. And then I really, a non-chocolate recipe actually is the strawberry shortcakes are also one of my favorites. I'm major strawberry lover. So making those with like a good big pile of coconut whipped cream and like super fresh strawberries is one of my favorite things. It sounds perfect. Makes me excited for summer. (laughs) Yes, I know. We just started getting some amazing strawberries around here, and it's making me so excited for all the fresh produce coming. Yeah, us too. Us too. It's such a good time of year. Yes, the best. (laughs) The photography in the book is so gorgeous. Did you do the photography in the book? I know you do for your blog. Did you do it for the book as well? Yeah, yeah. I did all the photography, except for the photos of me. I took every picture in the book. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, it's tons of fun to do that. I love doing the photos. It definitely made the whole process a little bit more stressful, but it's really gratifying to be able to look through and like remember each of the days that I had all these photo shoots. So I think in the world of Instagram, even the most casual baker dabbles a bit with food photography and just thinking about it. Do you have any quick tips for our listeners? Just like top three things, like if you're starting out taking pictures of your food, keep these things in mind or something like that. Yes. So first is lighting. Lighting is everything. I wish that I had figured out the way that I like things to be lit a lot easier, a lot earlier in my photography journey, because it makes all the difference. Um, I prefer to shoot with just having light coming from one direction. I think it makes things look the most beautiful and illuminated and you get this really nice juxtaposition of shadow and light. Um, even like I'm in sitting in my kitchen right now and there's windows on four sides because we have a skylight and then there's windows on three sides. And a lot of people would 
come in here and think that the light is great, but a lot of times it's actually super overexposed because there's, because there's light coming from too many directions. So I usually like to go shoot in my office where we only have light coming in from one direction and it just makes the photos look so much more beautiful. So I think to figure out where the light is best in your house, if you just like put a cookie on a plate and walk around and take pictures in front of a bunch of different windows, you can figure out where you like your the lighting in your house the best and even going for different angles. So taking something that's next to the window and then something where you're maybe facing the window to get something backlit. So just experimenting with different ways of lighting things can be so helpful in figuring out your photography style. And just instead of just having this one place that you go right next to the window that you take every single one of your photos, so the lighting always looks the same and you don't really learn about the different styles of light. So practicing with light was huge for me in learning photography. And I think that's something fun for everyone to learn. And then something that is so basic that I'm always reminding people to do is just wipe off your phone camera lens. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be taking a picture and I'm like, why does this not look right? And I turn and it's because I like have fingerprints all over my phone camera. And just wiping that off will make your photos so much clearer. Sometimes I'll see people's photos and I'll be like, oh, they definitely have like a little bit of a little bit of messiness on their phone lens right now because you can tell that the picture isn't as clear as it's supposed to be. Um, such a small thing that can make such a big difference. Um, I feel like that's me. I'm going, oh my God, I got to scroll through now and see <laughs> which ones look a little blurry. That was the dirty day. <laughs> yeah, totally. So like, it's just, I always just try to like keep it on top of my mind. Like, okay, just take my little, take my little wipe or just even just wipe it on my shirt, but just wipe off the lens and it makes such a big difference. Um, yeah. And then editing. I mean, something I think most of us do now because it's built into Instagram, but just taking a little bit of time to adjust the lighting to maybe increase the exposure and increase the increased contrast just to pull people in, you know, maybe you have to do a little color correcting. If your walls are a little bit yellow or a little bit blue, adjusting that can just make things look so much more appetizing, especially when it comes to food. If color temperature is a little bit off, it can really throw off the way that your dish looks. So those are, I think my three easy food photography tips. They're really good. Top tips. Those are awesome. Yes, thank you. <laughs> that temperature thing is so interesting to me. I don't know if you guys run into this, but taking pictures with my phone, almost mm -hmm. always things skew too blue. And it's yes. like, you know, especially with certain things, like if the food is brown, like a chocolate chip cookie, almost every time I'm like, why does my cookie look freaking green? And in real life, it doesn't look green at all. And I have to like sit there and finagle with it so much. Do you guys have that too? I totally find that, especially it seems like when I'm shooting on a lighter surface. So I have like a sort of like gray white surface that I shoot on a lot of times. And especially when I'm shooting on that with my phone, it turns things like bright blue. Like you would think that I was shooting on something that was a blue surface based yeah. on the width of my phone messes with it. So I'm always playing with com color temperature when that happens because it can be so disorienting to look at when you see something completely different on your phone than how it looks in real life. I'm glad this is happening. Like I've literally asked my husband, I'm like, is something wrong with my phone? But I think it's just, it's like a thing. I think it, it sounds like it's not just my phone. So that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, let's talk about ingredients. I'm super excited to get all of your wisdom on this. Um, let's let, we're going to dive into each type, um, but yes. let's start with sweeteners. What are your favorites and what are substitutions that you like or suggest or recommend? Let's dig yeah, in. Yeah. So my favorite in terms of granulated sweeteners to use is coconut sugar. I love coconut sugar. Super similar to brown sugar, actually, in terms that it gives like a really nice sort of light caramely flavor to things. So a lot of the time, when I was starting to bake this way, a lot of the time I would switch my recipes that I had developed to be like full gluten, full dairy, full sugar. I would just take those recipes and sort of convert them over to be gluten-free or dairy-free or fine sugar-free or whatever it is I was working on at that time. And coconut sugar is just like the easiest thing to sub in. So if you're starting to play around with refined sugar substitutes, um, switching out like white sugar or brown sugar for coconut sugar and pretty much any recipe, it it works. Um, so that's a good, it's a good ingredient to start playing around with because it substitutes super easily. Um, and then in terms of liquid sweeteners, Maple syrup and honey are my go-tos um, for sure, and they interchange really easily even though they have different flavors. So I recommend one or the other, but usually you can switch them out for each other. Um, so those are my my three go-tos for sure, um, my, the ones I use the most in my kitchen. Great. I love coconut sugar. I'm like, oh yeah. Anytime I even hear it, I just get so excited. <laughs> yeah. It has such a good flavor. I just love it so much. <laughs> I always have so many bags. <laughs> okay. What about alternative milks? Do you have a favorite? Do you have a go-to? You know, I switch out my alternative milks all the time and I will substitute them in different recipes um, interchangeably and they pretty much always work. The only one that I specifically recommend to always use when it's called for is canned coconut milk because it has like a different texture than like almond milk. Um, I love canned coconut milk. I call for it a lot of times in place of good creams. So in like my scone recipes where you would normally use heavy cream, I instead use canned coconut milk because it has that similar thickness that works really well in recipes like that. Um, but in terms of just like milk substitutes, I go all over the place. I use almond flour. I use or almond flour, almond milk, oat milk. I pretty much use all the nut milks when it comes to substituting for just like traditional milk. And they all seem to work pretty well. So I try not to specify too much because I don't want people to think they can't make a recipe if they have oat milk, but they don't have almond milk. What about fats? I love coconut oil. That's usually what I use in place of butter, um, mostly because the texture can be super similar. You can use it melted. You can keep it. I usually just keep it at room temperature. And like this time of year is the best because it naturally settles, um, at like a softened butter kind of consistency. So it's like perfect for making cookies. Um, you can chill it and it will get super hard, which is perfect for cutting into pie crusts or scones or anything where you would want to cut it into the flour. So coconut oil is pretty much always what I go to. I know a lot of people also really like ghee, which is made from milk, but it has had the lactose removed. So if people are lactose-free, but they're still okay with having dairy, a lot of people will use ghee in my recipes too, because it gives that nice buttery flavor without having like the effects of dairy that people who are lactose intolerant don't want. So ghee and coconut oil, 
do I have any other fats that I like? And then I, I use like um, olive oil actually sometimes in some of my recipes, um, especially like I think I have a chocolate cake recipe in the book that uses olive oil. I think it plays really well with sort of like richer flavors. Um, so I think those are the three fats that I use the most. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty consistent coconut oil person though. That's usually my go-to for fats in a recipe. What do you use if you're making a buttercream style frosting for the fat? So I did a lot of like frosting, like experiments coming up with stuff for the book. And what I actually ended up using for most of them was doing a cashew base. Um, So I don't know if either of you have ever made a cashew cheesecake, which is super common in vegan baking. You use soaked cashews in place of the cream cheese. And I found that the soaked cashews work really well to create a frosting. So the, the rest of the ingredients, the amounts are a little bit different than they would be for a cheesecake. And I chill it and whip it similarly to the way that you would a buttercream. And the texture comes out super similarly because I did coconut oil wasn't really um, temperature stable enough for something like a buttercream. I would find that it didn't whip quite the same way. It was hard to get fluffy. It would usually just kind of melt. Um, So to get that sort of like fluffy frosting texture that really like held its shape and didn't melt all over the place. Um, Using the soaked cashews was my favorite thing. And I think most of the frosting recipes that ended up in the book have some sort of cashew base. I'm excited to try this because I've tried, you know, making buttercreams with coconut oil and it's like, it goes from kind of grainy and a little bit chunky to all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it's, it's liquid. It's just too loose. Like you said, it doesn't hold a shape. And then I don't care for vegan butter. I'd really, really like to like it, but I just, I don't care for it. So I'm excited to try this. I feel like my brain is on fire right now. This is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's tons of fun. I tried not to use, um, I know cause like vegan butter, it can also vary so much, you know, there's so many different brands. And so by just me saying like use vegan butter, it could make the recipe vary so much. So I tried not to use too many like processed products like that in the book because I wanted people to be able to recreate like the exact thing that I made. And if they couldn't find the exact kind of butter that I use, the recipe would be so different because unlike regular butter that's just made of cream, vegan butter can be made of so many different things. So by using just like a raw ingredient like cashews, everybody can recreate the same thing instead of having like this variant that like maybe their butter tasted a little weird and now their whole buttercream tastes a little weird. (laughs) So I want to know more is, is it like a powder sugar type buttercream with the cashews or how, what, what, what are some of the other ingredients? I think I ended up using maple syrup. Let me find one of them. I have my oh, book right. in front You're of me. Let me find one of them. Alternative sweeteners too. Yes, because okay. there's no, yeah, no, um, I don't think there are any powdered sugars that are refined sugar free. I know right. that there's like organic and maybe like made out of raw sugar, right. um, which I guess is technically unrefined, but not the kind of unrefined sugar that I was using in the book. So I think I use maple syrup for most of the sweeteners wow. um, okay. because where powdered sugar in traditional baking is used to like thicken it up a lot, the cashews provide the thickness. So the maple syrup is really just providing the sweetness, not really any structure the way that the sweetener is used in traditional buttercream. So what about flour blends or types of flour? What do you, what do you love to use? 
Yes. So same thing like with the butters. There's so many kinds of gluten-free flour blends out there that I just wanted to like pick. I think I used like four main flours in the book, four main gluten-free flours. I did don't use any flour blends. Um, and the four that I use the most are almond flour is like the primary one that I use. That was like the first gluten-free flour that I really fell in love with. It substitutes really well for all-purpose flour. So when I started experimenting, I would like, like I switched in almond flour for all-purpose rec- for all-purpose flour in my favorite chocolate chip cookie recipe. And the cookie still tasted delicious because almonds taste like they're supposed to be in baked goods. They have like this neutral, mildly sweet flavor. It doesn't have any like sandy textures the way that some like brown rice flour is going to have or chickpea flours. Um, So almond flour, I would say, is my most used in the book. I also love coconut flour, but that can be tricky to work with because it's super, super absorbent. It is about three times more absorbent than most other flours. So sometimes people will try and substitute coconut flour for almond flour and they'll have like this super dry crumbly dough and won't know what happened. And that's because coconut flour is super, super absorbent. So I always tell people who want to use coconut flour to find specific recipes that are meant to use coconut flour because it can be so finicky and weird. But When you know how to use it right, it can be a great flour and you only have to use a tiny bit because it is so absorbent. Um, And then I also love tapioca flour and arrowroot starch. They're pretty interchangeable. Um, They each have certain qualities that make them preferable for certain recipes, but if you only have one, they can always be interchanged for the other. Um, And those are really good for just like lightening up a recipe. So a lot of times I'll use a mix of almond flour with a little bit of tapioca or arrowroot starch, Mm -hmm. which will add like some crispiness to recipes a lot of the time. So in like some of my shortbread cookies, I'll use them and they make it like have that snappier texture. Um, And then oat flour is the, the other one that I use. And that's very simply just ground up oats and it's a little bit nutty and it has a great flavor and I love using that in more like breakfast style recipes and it also works as a good substitute for almond flour if people are allergic to almonds or don't want to have tree nuts or they just want to use oat flour because it's so much cheaper than almond flour is a lot of the time if you're buying oats in bulk you can blend up your own oat flour and you can have a ton of it for not very much money, um, which compared to almond flour can be super inexpensive. So those are my, those are my four favorite flours. And a lot of the recipes call for a mix of a few of them, but because there's not that many of them, um, it's pretty easy to stock your cabinet with a few of those and you can make pretty much every recipe in the book. With oat flour, can you pretty much sub that one-to-one for all-purpose flour for most things? I think for all-purpose flour, yeah, you can do a pretty easy one-to-one sub. Sometimes, depending on the recipe, it can be like a little bit more absorbent. Um, like for my for my cookie recipe specifically, like I use two and a quarter cups of almond flour. I usually tell people to use two cups of oat flour because um, it's like a teeny bit more absorbent. But if you were to do a one-to-one sub, things would also be fine. So that's also something I love about gluten-free baking compared to regular baking is you're like, it's not as tedious. I find it to be easier a lot of the time because you don't have to worry about overdeveloping the gluten and you can sort of like mess with things a little bit more. 
if your dough doesn't come out perfectly the first time, like you can mix in a little bit more coconut oil and it won't totally mess the recipe up the way that a lot of times it would with regular baking. Um, so it's a lot more forgiving, which is really nice and sort of counterintuitive because I think a lot of people expect it to be more difficult. I think with coconut flour too, like you said, how it's so much more absorbent as somebody who bakes mostly traditionally, I feel like I have to really put my instincts aside whenever I use coconut flour. Cause I'm like yes. two tablespoons for this whole, you know, batch of brownies or something. And it, it, it feels so wrong. And then it, and then it works. You're like, Oh, okay. I'm glad I followed the recipe. Cause every time I'm like, Mm, maybe this was a mistake. Maybe they meant, you know, two cups or something. So totally. Yeah. And, then, and then it also takes a second for it to work. So you'll like mix it in and you're like, oh, this is still totally liquidy. But then you'll go and like wash a bowl and come back a minute later. And it has like totally thickened up. Mm, mm-hmm. So it can take, take a second for the for the flour to start absorbing stuff too. So sometimes that can throw people off and they'll want to keep adding it before they've really given a chance for the batter to settle. We've come to that magical time of the episode where we get to ask you our favorite question. Yes. And, and that <laughs> is, if you were going to, oh my gosh, I haven't asked in so long. I don't remember how to ask. Can <laughs> <laughs> you remember the magical question? <laughs> I've it up and now I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I know go what it is. Amanda. Should go I go for, for it? it? All right. If you could bake for anyone, dead or alive, who would you bake for and what would you bake for them? Oh my goodness. That is such a hard question. Um, who immediately came to mind is Julia Child, which is just, I mean, she's just like the queen of cooking, right? Um I don't know what I, I mean, that is such a hard question. What would I bake? Maybe some I mean, paleo, what, paleo yeah, chocolate cookies. My chocolate cookies. <laughs> I feel like I have, it's like such a boring answer, but that's like whenever anyone asks me, like, what's your favorite recipe? What would you make for anyone? That's always my answer. So I think I have to go paleo chocolate chip cookies because they're just like my classic. So I kind of like the idea of her eating a paleo chocolate chip cookie. I think right? I would like, like to see this. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see the reaction. Yeah. Especially if we like sneak it, don't tell her that it's made with any, yeah. any gluten-free flowers. It's like these two worlds colliding in one plate in one moment. It's yeah, pretty cool absolutely. to think about. Show her a little bit of the new style of baking. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us and congratulations again on all you're achieving. It's just so inspiring. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much for having me on. It's been so much fun to talk about um, gluten-free baking with you two amazing, incredible two bakers. So I'm honored to be here and this was a wonderful chat. Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel like I learned a ton and, and just such a fun way to learn. So Thank you. And I wish you every single success with your cookbook. And I hope you do many, many more selfishly. So thank you so much. And Jeremiah, good luck finishing yours. I can't wait to see it. Thank you. If I (laughs) message you crying for support, you'll know why. (laughs) Always happy to help. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it.